Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I am excited to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we are wrapping up Matthew chapter 12. I want to thank all of you that's been on this journey with our podcast. You have seen it grow tremendously from February 1st of this year uh, to now here in October. A lot of changes, uh, a lot of updates, a lot of renovations. Uh, our heart and our desire uh, has been to make a quality, uh, quality commitment to minister to our viewers. I want to thank you for the feedbacks. I want to thank you for the reviews and all the kind messages that you guys have sent me. As you know, my daughter is now uh, a month old. Uh, yesterday turned a month old. For the last month, we were preparing and renovating and building uh, and getting this at a high level uh, to each and every one of you. And so I'm excited to give you this quality and uh, all the time that we're spending into this. Uh, we just we just are so thankful for the opportunity to serve. So let's get into uh, Matthew uh, chapter 12. Um, thank you for the kind reviews. Uh, for those that have uh, purchased the book, it was for three months. It was a top Amazon bestseller. Um, for three months and it's still every month people are getting it from all around the world. Thank you uh, for the support. We'll be having Spanish episodes. We'll be having uh, a lot of quality content coming your way. And so look from six to seven in the morning, we are live on Facebook live and live on our YouTube Bible centered uh, with Victor Jackson YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe. We're going to be live there Tuesdays through Fridays from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. So you can listen to it on the way to work and it'll be uploaded to uh, everywhere that podcasts are listened to. It'll be uploaded everywhere. And so I'm thankful for it. So let's get into this. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented not at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. 
Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said to him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Verse 50, last scripture. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Um, with this passage, I, I want to talk to you uh, for a little bit on, on the subject, the other side of deliverance, the other side of deliverance. We understand that God inspired Matthew to write, turn this tax collector into a preacher. Matthew's very life is a, an example of what God can do and the radical transformations and changes that can happen whenever there is a encounter with God. He turned from uh, tax collecting and taxing people. Everyone hated these tax collectors because they were asking for more money to pay themselves off. And somehow through the presence of God, there was a conversion and Matthew became an apostle. He's writing to the Jews to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ, that he is not only a savior to the Jews, but he is a savior to the world. His theme is fulfillment. He uses a lot of Old Testament passages to illustrate on how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, that Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but rather he came to fulfill it. And this theme of fulfillment has been present. We, we talked about his uh, never-ending conflict uh, with the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests um, and these teachers of the law because the system was so corrupt, his purity was just exposing everything. And this tension is, is increasing. It's going to lead into a climax in Matthew 16. Uh, but we, Matthew is detailing how these tensions are rising. For context, Jesus just cast out these devils. And they tried to argue that, no, he's doing that because uh, he's the prince of devils. He's Beelzebub. And Jesus refutes that. He said, a kingdom divided in its, against itself, it cannot stand. And he begins to preach conviction to them because he says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what he's showing them is, is like, you can't even speak anything well of me because there's only evil within you. And everything that you say is evil. Your, your internal 
evil, you're projecting it upon me. And so now we, we hasten to verse 38 because he's going to lead what Matthew is doing very strategically. He's showing that the Jews who are uh, kin to Jesus, who are close to Jesus, they are blind to his greatness and his power. And we talked about it several episodes ago on how sometimes proximity can breed blindness, that some people can be so close to you and not recognize your greatness. And they do not recognize your greatness until a stranger recognizes it. And now Matthew is showing this because while the Jews are blind, the Gentiles are being sensitive. And while Jerusalem, the center of theological activity at the time, it was the center of the theological activity that they study so much about the Messiah, but they do not recognize his presence among them. But from the very birth of Jesus, the wise men, the magi, the astrologers, they travel 500 to 800 miles to come and worship at this child's feet. And he's showing the duality here. While one is running after Jesus from afar, those that are nearby are ignoring him. We see this presence, this presence of this irony and this paradox all throughout the gospel of Matthew, that the Gentiles who are afar off are aware of his presence and those that are close, he came unto his own, but his own received them not. Those that are close to him, they have no awareness because they are stuck in their traditions. They are stuck in their systems of thought. They are, they are stuck in in the past where they do not recognize God's presence in their present. And verse 38 says, then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered saying, master, we would see a sign from thee. Now that, that is just preposterous because they just saw him cast out devils. They saw him heal the blind and the deaf. They just saw him do this a few scriptures earlier. But then they say, we would like a sign from you. Have you ever been to a place where, where no matter what you did, no one's going to believe in you? Uh, you? They could watch you do the most significant things, the most success, the most achievement in the history of the world. They will not listen to you because the problem is not you. The problem is their hearts. And that's what Matthew is exposing here, that Jesus... Uh, he is the Messiah, and he's shown all the evidence being the Messiah, but the people's hearts are blinding them to who he is because they, in their heart, do not want to accept who he is. They, they do not want to accept anything about him because of their own hearts. It wasn't a lack of perfection. Jesus is perfect. It wasn't a lack of miracles. We saw the miracles. It wasn't a lack of evidence. He resurrected, but their hearts were blinded to the possibility of him being Messiah because of where they were internally in their own uh, deception and in their own lasciviousness and their own sin. So here they are after he's done all of this, here they are requesting another sign. Why? They're trying to trap him in his words. 
But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there should be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. He said, I know your evil and your wickedness, that I know why you want a sign. You're trying to find a way to in, entrap me. I'm using these miracles to help people. You're trying to use my miracles against me to condemn me to death, uh, which is exactly what they did. Uh, they were so mad at Jesus for healing the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. Uh, while one is rejoicing over the miracle, uh, the religious establishment went and conspired to kill him on the Sabbath day. Jesus is doing good on the Sabbath. They're doing evil on the Sabbath. And so he is exposing the contradictions and the hypocrisy that is present. Later, Jesus even says it, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, which literally means to, it's like the Greek theater to put on a mask and you put on a mask and you become another person. And so he even says it, hey, do what the Pharisees tell you to do, but just don't do after their, their, what they do. Do what they say, just don't do what they do because they're not living what they're saying. So Jesus' life is in direct and stark contrast to what's going on around him because he is actually speaking and living the example. And that's the power of living for God. We can't just talk it, we have to live it. Verse 40, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he is referencing a major story in the Old Testament, and that is the prophet Jonah and how he was in uh, the belly of the whale. And um, years ago, I preached the message and I talked about uh, the power of resistance and I talked about how Jonah God has a whale for your will, and he will keep you in the whale long enough until your will becomes, until his will becomes your will. And I said that God has a will for your will because Jonah went into the whale with his will, and he came out of the whale with God's will. And somewhere in that belly of hell, he repented, and he turned toward the temple. Now, that's a that's a powerful thing in itself. How do you turn toward the temple in the belly of a whale? You have no idea where you are. You're, you're in the depths. You have no idea. It's dark. You, you have no idea how to turn. But something internal in Jonah found a way to turn towards the temple while in the whale's belly. And he cried out for repentance. And he went into the whale with his will, but he came out of the whale with God's will. And I said, sometimes God will allow some circumstances in our life. He'll put us in that belly of the will, that belly of hell uh, to convert our will and his grace. And because people need to hear a message. Amen. And so what he's showing here is that Jonah is a popular prophet. And He's saying that as he was there three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now he's he's referencing that he's going to be buried and that he's uh, going to resurrect and that there would be more effect after his resurrection than what even happened uh, before he dies and is buried and resurrects. So he is twinning himself with that famous prophet. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment 
with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Now look what Jesus is doing here. He says, listen, you guys know the story of the prophet Jonah and how he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And he says that the men of Nineveh, which are Gentiles, Gentile is anyone that's not a Jew. The men of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment because they repented having no law, having no divine awareness, having no covenant with God. They repented. This is what Jesus is showing. He's saying, listen, I came to you to give you the word. You're in covenant. You know about the God of Israel. You know about how great God is, but you're the very one rejecting the message. But these Gentiles who are cut off from my presence, who know nothing about me, they repented. They had more of a conviction than the children of Israel did at this time. So he says that a greater than Jonah is here. So these Gentiles repented at the preaching of Jonah. And he's saying that I'm greater than Jonah. So he shows that he uses the office of a prophet to show that he is the epitome of the office of a prophet, that he is the fulfillment of the office of a prophet. And so if the Gentiles in the Old Testament repented, Jews and Gentiles alike should repent and come after him. Verse 42, the queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now he goes to another Gentile, the queen of Sheba, the queen, queen Sheba, that she traveled all the way from Ethiopia to come and hear the wisdom of King Solomon. Now, wisdom is here. A greater than Solomon is here. Now, he's showing that he fulfills two things, that he is the epitome of the prophets and he is the epitome of kings, that he fulfills the role of prophet. He fulfills the role of king. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Jonah. And if the Gentile woman from Ethiopia traveled all the way just to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He said, Gentiles are going to do the same to come and hear him, but here he is in your presence and you reject his wisdom. That you are in a greater uh, vicinity and proximity to wisdom than the queen of Sheba was. She traveled hundreds of miles. You don't have to travel two, mile, travel two miles to hear me. And yet, you reject me. So he's saying, I'm greater than Solomon. I'm the wisest of them all. I'm the greatest prophet of them all. And he said that these people are going to condemn you in judgment because they had less preaching, less access to the synagogue, no access to a synagogue, no access to a temple, no access to all of these things that you have access to, and yet you're rejecting me. And then look what he says here. And this is profound what he gets into in verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. 
Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. What is he saying here? He's introducing a concept of the other side of deliverance because they just watched him cast out the devils. But what Jesus is showing these people that he is going to die for, you have to remember, he dies for the Pharisees. He dies for the scribes. He dies for everyone that hates him. He still dies for him. That's the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. But I want you to catch something. He's showing here that I did not come to just cast out devils. I came to live inside of your house. I didn't come to just cast out devils where you are vacant later. I came to dwell in your house. I came for my teachings, my authority, my power to dwell in your house, meaning I didn't just come to cast out devils. I came that you might take on my teachings, that you would have a life of discipleship. Ooh. So he's saying, I came, these unclean spirits, when it's gone out of a man, he says that it walks through the dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he finds it is empty, swept, and garnished. He said, it's not enough for you to just be delivered. It's not enough for you to be delivered from. You must be delivered to something. It's not enough to come out. You got to go in. What did he say in, in Deuteronomy 6, 23, I believe it is? It says that I brought you out from Egypt to bring you in to the promised land. I would not have brought you out if I wasn't willing to bring you in. So he's saying here that it's not enough to be delivered from Egypt. You have to go deliver, be delivered unto the promised land. That it's not enough to just be delivered from a demon. You have to be delivered unto my teachings where your life is, is taking on the nature of my teachings. It's not enough for us to stop smoking cigarettes. We've got to start getting into prayer. It's not enough to be delivered from an addiction. Come on, somebody. We've got to get addicted to the ministry. We've got to get addicted to serving God. You see, this is what Paul even says in the New Testament. He says, as you yielded your members unto unrighteousness, even so yield those members to righteousness. Meaning what you used to do for the world, you got to start doing for God. What you used to do for the devil, you got to start doing for God. You see, some of you, when you were in the world, you were just, just this, uh, this, this amazing uh, party goer and you, you would dance and you would, you were, you were the life of the party and you would dance. And then, and then you come into church after you get delivered. And now it's like, you know, you're stoic. It's like, you, you're, you're stoic. You, you, you don't want to worship. You just kind of, you just kind of like, Oh, you know, I'm just little old me, timid old me. They're like, hold on. We saw some videos of you in the world. You were, you were radical. Come on. So you need to yield those same members 
that you did to unrighteousness and give it to righteousness. So now I am not worshiping or dancing for the devil. Now I'm worshiping and dancing for God. And and when I was worshiping and dancing for the devil, I was attracting negative spirits. But now I am worshiping God and I'm attracting the spirit of God. Oh, my word. What did he say? That he inhabits the praises of Israel. He inhabits the praises of his people. Now I am not praising what the world is doing. Now I'm praising God. And the benefit I get in praising God is I get to bring his power down. I get to bring his glory down. I get to bring his anointing down. Why? Because he gave me a body not to serve the systems of this world, but he gave me a body to serve the presence of the living God. I have replaced the habit. So it's not enough for me to get delivered and just sit back. It's not enough for me to just get baptized in Jesus' name and sit back. It's not enough for me to get filled with the Holy Ghost and sit back and say, okay, I'm saved. I'm going to coast. No, 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 no. Uh, If you don't do nothing, then those devils are going to come back and find your house empty and try to make your last state worse than how you began. But you've got to say, it's not enough for me to come out of. I got to go in. I got to go into the promise. I got to possess the land. I got to help somebody. I got to evangelize. I got to be an apostle. I got to be a prophet. I got to teach a Bible study. I got to use the voice that I use for the world. I got to start using my voice for God. I got to start using the gifts and talents and abilities that I use to make money. Now I'm using it to, to, to push the kingdom of God forward. I am replacing the habit. I am yielding my members unto the future. I am yielding my members unto God the way I used to yield it unto the devil. Oh my word, this is what he is saying here. It's not enough to be delivered from the devil. He said, you have to adopt my teachings. You have to take on the nature of my teachings. You have to start living a life of discipleship. The house can't remain vacant. You say, you got to let me come in and start moving furniture. Come on, somebody. He said, when I come into your house, I got I to change the whole dynamic on, on how you live. I got to move the couch around. I got to move this around. I got to move that. It's not, enough. it's not enough to be cleansed. You have to start filling the house with the right stuff. It's not enough to take out the ungodly stuff and leave the house empty. Now you got to start bringing in godly furniture. You got to start bringing in godly things and replace the habits of ungodliness, replace it with godliness and replace the habits of the past with now the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to be delivered from, you must be delivered to. Uh, it's like, it's like a a package leaving Amazon. Um, when a package leaves Amazon, um, it say, it says shipped. And it's not until that package arrives at its destination that it says delivered. I'm going to preach to somebody right now. See, see, it's not enough to be delivered from that facility. You have to get delivered to your destination. And our destination is to be like Christ. We are to be conformed into his image. 
And so we have to be delivered to him. See, holiness is not just being separated from, it's to be separated unto God. That's what holiness is. It's not enough for me to just not do what the world is doing. I have to start doing what he's doing. I've got to start doing what Christ is doing. I've got to be, see, there's, there's people that don't smoke and don't drink, but they don't believe in Jesus either. So they're separated from, but they're not separated to. Are you getting what I'm saying? We have to be delivered unto. That's the other side of deliverance. Everybody wants to be delivered from a demon or delivered from oppression or delivered from this or delivered from that. But God is saying, after I deliver you, you have to be delivered to my teachings. You have to be delivered unto obedience. You have to be delivered unto and replace the habits. It's what Paul says Later in his epistles, he says, it's not enough. He says, let the thief that stole steal no more. Okay, he stopped stealing. But it's not enough to stop stealing, he says. He says, but rather let him labor. Now he replaces the habit of stealing with laboring. It's not enough for him to be delivered from stealing. Now he has to replace the habit with laboring not just laboring. He says, let the thief labor with his hands and now give to the poor. So he replaces the habit of stealing with working and with giving. Mm. See, it's not enough for him to be delivered from the sin of thievery. He has to be delivered unto godly habits. And that's what Jesus is saying. You guys are mad at me for delivering uh, this person from a devil, but he's saying the true power is that when my teachings come inside of that temple, when my teachings come inside of that house, woo, and, and, and you begin to see that his life is changed by the doctrine that I'm giving him. Now that my friend is the other side of deliverance. You came out so you could go in. God didn't deliver you from drugs, drugs so you can just sit on a pew and, and just testify about what you came out of. You've got to start testifying about where you're headed. You've got to start testifying about what you're going to do for the Lord. See, people will try to keep you tied to your past testimony. Oh, my word. Who am I preaching to on here? Ooh, I, I'm glad we're live. Somebody's got to give a amen. Somebody's got to give a thank you, Jesus. Somebody's got to comment if I'm preaching to you. See, some people try to put a ceiling over you by what you came out of, but they don't believe in you for where you're headed. Ah, oh my, oh my, here we go. Here we go. It's early in the morning, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna get this together here. See, some people like to say, oh, yeah, they, you, you've been saved 30 years. He's talking about, yeah, they used to be in drugs. Yeah, they used to be in prison. Yeah, they used to, used to, used to, used to. And they're happy to talk about what you used to do. But then they get jealous when you start talking about what you're about to do. Then they get jealous when you start talking about, well, this is what the teachings of Jesus is telling me to do. He's telling me to plant a church. He's telling me to teach a Bible study. He's telling me to be a missionary. He's telling me, come on, somebody. He's telling me to give to the poor. Now, all of a sudden, they don't want to talk about the testimony of the future. They don't want to talk about the other side of deliverance. They want to keep you bound to what you came out of. 
Ah, but I'm going in. I'm going in to possess the land. And God would have never brought me out of Egypt if he didn't intend for me to possess the land. God would have never de delivered me from sin if he didn't have a promise laid up for me that he wanted me to pursue and he wanted me to go after. The other side of deliverance. You've got to start being delivered unto I'm glad you've been delivered from. I rejoice with you. But we've got to replace the habits of unrighteousness with righteousness. We've the same zeal. You woke up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work and make some money. Now, God's saying, can you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and go into prayer? Can you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and go into intercession? Can you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and open my word? Can you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and start doing godly habits to replace the ungodly habits? It's the other side of deliverance. So Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are mad about what's come out of him. Whew. Y'all about to get real angry about what's about to go into him. If what came out upsets you, my, you're about to get upset about what's going in because I'm putting joy in there. I'm putting peace in there. I'm putting hope in there. I'm putting love in there. I'm putting patience in there. I'm putting long suffering in there. I'm putting the fruit of the spirit in there. And he's not going to look like what he's been through. But if the, if the servant, if the person remains empty, no purpose, nothing to give himself to, then he gives the thought of these demons going to find seven more demons and bringing it back into that empty house and the last state of that man being worse than the first. He's saying there's a danger in remaining empty. My word, are you getting what I'm saying? You see, we repent to empty ourselves of our, we repent. We say, God, I repent. We get baptized to, to give us a clean slate. But it's not enough to have a clean slate. He said, you got to be filled with my spirit. And he said, after you're filled with my spirit, you got to walk in the spirit. You got to be led in the spirit. You've got to have the fruit of the spirit. You got to walk in the gifts of the spirit. Ah, there are some godly actions that are supposed to come in that house. It's not enough to be empty. We got to be filled with the right stuff. Ooh, I'm going to help somebody on here today. Somebody needs to comment an amen. Somebody needs to shout amen. I'm hope I'm talking to somebody today. Oh my word. I'm so excited. And so he's introducing to Israel that you guys are mad about me casting out, but you're about to get really mad about what's about to go in because what's going in is going to be greater than what has come out. A greater than Jonah is here. A greater than Solomon is here. And the teachings of Jesus are to come into a life, coming to a soul, and that soul start taking on the nature of Jesus' teachings. Ah, and that soul takes on a life of discipleship. God does a miracle of deliverance to bring you into discipleship. Somebody needs to comment that. Somebody needs to post that. Somebody needs to tag that. That the purpose of deliverance is discipleship. And if, and if deliverance never leads to discipleship, 
you're going to have to continue being delivered over and over again. Deliverance is supposed to lead to discipleship. And so this is the other side of deliverance. He wants you to be delivered to something. I told someone years ago, I said, the problem is a lot of people, they've been delivered from, but the problem is that they're stuck in route. It's like ordering a package from Amazon. You pay, uh, you pay Prime. You do Prime annually, Amazon Prime. And you order a package. That package is supposed to show up in 18 hours and 21 minutes. And so you order the package, and 18 hours go by, and you see that the package has been delivered from. But look what it says. It says, en route. Two days pass, en route. Three days pass, en route. Six days pass, en route. Now you call them, and you say, what's going on? My package is stuck en route. It hasn't been delivered. How many Christians are like that, that are stuck en route? You've been delivered from, but you haven't been delivered to. And he would have never brought you out if he didn't intend to bring you in. He would have never brought me out of basketball if he didn't intend for me to possess the land in, in, in my ministry and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. But the very evidence of my promise is that I've come out. So he brought me out. That means I'm going to something. I'm telling everyone listening right now, you have a purpose. You have a purpose, and you find that purpose by getting into his presence. Out of his presence is born purpose. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You, you, stick, you stick to the following, I'll stick to the making. If you follow, he'll make. See, we try to make ourselves before we follow. We try to find purpose before we find his presence. But if you find his presence, you also find purpose. Out of presence comes purpose. You just stick to following, he'll stick to making. This isn't behavior modification. This is heart transformation. This isn't mechanical religious rituals. This is something of a transformed heart that only God can do. You follow, he'll make. I'll make you into what you need to be. You just make sure you follow me. Take on my teachings, and it's in you taking on my teachings that you discover purpose. When I came to God and I was delivered from sin, I started following him. And as I started following him, he started conforming me into his image, and I was just following him. And the more I followed him, the more I allowed him in my house he started moving stuff and he started putting stuff and he started putting things. And then he started calling me to ministry and he started calling me to Orlando and he started calling me to do this and do that. And it's in following him that I found purpose and it's in his presence that I found purpose. You stick to following him. He'll stick to making you as a potter forms the clay, allow the potter to form you. It's the other side of deliverance. I'm glad you came out. What are you going into? You see, everybody wants to keep you hostage to what you came out of. You've been in church 30 years. They're still talking about what you did 30 years ago. But if you start saying, no, this is what I'm going to do. This is what God's going to do. This is, all of a sudden, you're going to lose friends. Because they want to keep talking about what you came out of. 
because they say, well, I never dealt with anything like that. You know, tell, tell me your testimony. Tell me your testimony. What if happens if you start testifying about the future? All of a sudden, everybody starts getting nervous. Like, whoa, whoa, settle down now. That's pride. Now that's pride. Now that's pride. Come on now. Isn't this the truth? I'm talking to somebody here. But with the same courage that you testify what you came out of, I want you to start testifying about what you're about to go into. Because I'm telling you, promises ahead of you. Purpose is ahead of you. Anointing is ahead of you. Isn't it amazing? We're loud about what we came out of, but we're silent about what we're going into. Because we know we start talking about what we're going into, what happens? You start getting a little bit of hate, don't we? You start, we start getting a little jealousy, don't we? And we're like, hey, I've, I don't want any extra problems, so I'm just talking about what we came out of. They're like, yay. And you're like, but I'm going in. And they're like, ugh. <laughs> Oh, I'm talking to somebody here. And so he's saying, listen, I came here not to cast out devils, but to bring in my teachings. And it's in my teachings that keeps the devils out. And I want to fill your temple, fill your house with so much stuff that no devil can ever penetrate again. No devil could ever come into your world again. But he said, if you are left empty after me casting out these devils, then this wicked generation, you're going to be worse than you were before. You have to come allow my teachings. And that's the purpose of a miracle. The only purpose of a miracle is for you to come into discipleship. Every miracle is to lead you into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. The miracle isn't complete until you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, until you grow in that relationship. He'll heal your body, but he wants to make you whole in relationship. Everything is, but how many people, there's people that blinded eyes have been open that never came into relationship with Jesus. They received the miracle from him, but they weren't willing to take up their cross. They weren't willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. And so the miracle wasn't complete. The miracle is that we get in a relationship with the presence of a living God. That's the miracle. And no matter what God has done for you or delivered you from, that's powerful. But what's more powerful is that you get a chance to be like him. Rejoice not that you cast out devils, but that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice that you have relationship with me. That's the power of it all. That we get to know him. The creator of the world, the creator of the stars, the creator of the galaxies, the creator of the heavens and earth, the creator of the, of the Milky Way, the creator of, of every plant, of every tree, of every sea, of every lake, of every pond, the, the creator of the universe wants a relationship with me. That is miraculous. That is the other side of deliverance. I've been delivered into his presence and man, his presence feels like home. The one that made every tulip, the one that made every lily, the one that made every rose, the one that made every dandelion, made me. Made me. Not only did he make me, but he wants relationship with me. And Jesus is saying, listen, I didn't come to just cast out. I came to put in. He didn't come to just take things out of you. He came to put things into you. And your life is defined not by what you came out of. You're, you're defined by what you're going into. 
You're defined by the promise. You're not defined by the past. You're not defined by Egypt. You're defined by the promised land. Mm. Now, as he is speaking this in verse 46, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said to him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with you. But he answered and said unto him, who told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. They're desiring to speak with him because his ministry had grown so much that it was producing a conflict in the family because I believe it's Mark that translates the same passage and talks about the same passage and says that his parents, his, his mother and his brethren said he is beside himself. Why? Because he was doing so many miracles that he didn't have time to eat. So they were like, he's gone, he's gone crazy. This carpenter has gone crazy because he's not, no longer making wood. Now he's making men. He's not only... He's not, no longer taking out his tools. Now he's taking out devils. Ah, uh, the carpenter's going crazy because he won't stop working. I'm so thankful to serve a God that just won't stop working. I'm so thankful for a God that won't stop chiseling away. He's a good God. And so they felt he was beside himself. And he was producing a new He's introducing a kingdom community. This is what Matthew is emphasizing in the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom community that is made up in brothers and sisters that are dedicating their lives unto the teachings of Jesus Christ. The ecclesia, the church, called out. He starts introducing a community that is a heavenly-influenced community more than a natural bloodline community, and that the superior nature to that heavenly community than even our own bloodline. This is so stark contrast to the thought, to Jewish thought in that time. But he is introducing that these are my brothers and sister and, and mothers, those that are doing the will of my father. That is not enough for us to just hear or be delivered, but we have to do. That's the other side of deliverance is not in what I hear or what I've experienced, but it's what I'm doing, what I'm doing, what I'm doing. And it's what I'm doing that is setting me apart into a kingdom community that is very different than the world. And by this shall they know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. Let's do the will of God. Let's walk in love. Let's be a light to a broken world. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining the Bible Centered with Victor Jackson podcast. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning at the same time, 6 a.m. I can't wait to do this again. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, 
Or you could come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.